0: Podcast about human and modern orthodoxy and a lot of other things as we'll discuss today. I'm here with Rabbi Johnny Solomon and Rabbi Mali Kurovsky, uh, and we're going to discuss, we're going to use this uh, time that we have together to start with a tweet that made the rounds on, on, on the social media um, yesterday and uh, two days ago and uh, and see and, as a response to, to, um, to our discussion last week. And then we're going to sort of try to understand. What does it mean? Does it mean anything? And what is its implications for the Jewish community moving forward? So last week, last time we talked, we talked about uh, Rabbi Yaakov Ariel's article in Makor Rishon, his long article, and his arguments against interacting with the reform movement. And I personally, all of us expressed our, our difficulty with that article. but. Uh, we, we read the article in depth, and one of the things that Rabbi Ariel emphasized over and over again, which was really interesting, and probably should be unpacked more, was Reform's ult- ultimate rejection of the idea of Jewish nationalism, of Jews as a nation, the Jewish as, as a people, we call it a peoplehood. And that very much caught my attention, it's been, it's been sticking in my head, uh, one of the things I said on the podcast was that we could have, I think we could have written Rabbi Ariel's article. Uh, better than he does, because we understand and we have a sense of, of reformed Judaism uh, much, much stronger, more strongly than he does. We're aware of it. So this, call, but this was in the back of my mind when I saw a tweet shared by Rabbi Ellie Fisher. I, I don't do Twitter. Twitter is incredibly snarky. It's a black hole, and so I try to avoid it as much as possible. But there's a tweet that Ellie, Ellie Fisher shared by a rabbi named Rabbi Andy Kahn, who's a rabbi in New York City, and, and he wrote the following. Let me say this as plainly as possible. Jews are not an indigenous people. It is inappropriate to make use of this word when referring to our relationship to the land of Israel, and it undermines the difficult work being done to fix the ongoing oppression of indigenous peoples. So this got into a whole long discussion of a Twitter storm about what does it mean to be an indigenous people, who defines indigenous peoples, the United Nations, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But, so, but two things caught my attention. The first thing is that this, this, this uh, tweet by Rabbi Andy Kahn got 12,000 likes and, and almost 2,000 retweets and comments. And in the world of social media, at least the one in which I live, which, you know, five people like a thing that I put up and seven people about, you know, when I put up something about a Mishnah, so I'm not getting 10.2 thousand likes about anything that I write. So you don't know how many of them are Jewish, but clearly he, he, he hit a nerve about what does it mean to be a Jew. And this is a rabbi, a very young rabbi, but so, clearly someone who, 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 who hit a nerve, and, and that struck my attention. The second thing, of course, is, what he says, what when he's, when he's saying, when he, what he means is, when he says we're not an indigenous people, it, it's not denying our history. Of course we have history, but the question is, are we a nation? Are we a people? Do we have an, an inherent connection to a specific land? And is that connection something that's fundamental? And the answer is that he's essentially saying no. I'm not going to get into the rest of his argument about it hurts other work that's less relevant to me. But he's saying, no, we don't have an essential connection to the land of Israel, to the Holy Land, a historic connection, not just a historic connection, an internal connection, a religious connection. And I personally found that incredibly painful because because this is something, A, that motivates much of the decisions that I make in my life. It motivated my decision to make Aliyah, how I raise my children, how I understand my place in the world, what what it means to be a people. And, and it, it said to me also that if Rabbi Khan, and I don't know if he does, but if Rabbi Khan represents uh, a, a sizable portion of the Jews that he leads, of liberal Jews, of reformed Jews, what that means is then I have nothing in common with them. Because we're talking very much about commonality. What does it mean to be a part of the Jewish people? So I always divide into two. One, we share a common, uh, a common ethnicity, a common uh, culture, a common religion, a common practice, a common language, Or you could say that we share a common history, a common nationality, a common Jewish identity. But if you take both of those away, then then what does that mean for my relationship with this large swath of people? And and it really is distressing to me. It's very, very distressing. How can I talk to people? How can anyone in Israel come and relate to people when you don't share that same sense of of connection, that same sense of history, that same sense of being indigenous? How How do you bridge that gap? And I think that that's something that when Rabbi Ariel spoke with, that's what he meant. He meant that this kind of preaching is so dangerous to the idea of Jewish continuity that we can't have any directions. And we can argue about that fact. We can argue about that, that argument. But I found it personally incredibly distressing. I, I shared it on my Facebook feed. It led to a, something of a discussion. But I think that it'd be, it, it's something that, that, that I wanted to come back to and, and ask my colleagues, Johnny and Molly, did you have that same response? Maybe I'm just making too much out of a single tweet. We don't know who our Rabbi Andy Khan is. I'm sure he's a nice young man, wonderful person, but like, let bygones be bygones. You don't have to go crazy about every tweet. Or is, did I identify something, something more significant? And what does that mean more importantly for us as an Orthodox community? Like we're not here, we're not there, we're here. But what does that mean as Orthodox Jews vis-a-vis our relationship with liberal Judaism and liberal Jews moving forward? We'll
1: start with Johnny. Okay, well, thanks for the introduction. And uh, I too have been following this uh, Twitter thread. And, it, and it's obviously a very, very curious and for many people, very, very troubling series of uh, posts and remarks and comments. And it's been picked up by online media and print media uh, around the globe. Let's be, I don't know this individual, top obviously it's, uh, hard to necessarily try and speak for somebody when actually I think they've been quite reluctant to comment beyond their Twitter post themselves. I know uh, the Ford asked him for a comment and and he didn't he didn't uh respond to them. nevertheless, why did he post what he posted uh, and for, to him this there are two things going on: one is seeing or questioning or in, in this moment somewhat dismissing the Jewish right. To the place called the land of Israel. Maybe I'm mis- misinterpreted it, but that's how I read what he said. But in addition to that, standing up for the rights of other people who were or are residents in the land of Israel. The, meaning, this isn't just a denial of the Jewish right uh, of the land and our historic ties to it, but affirmation of other people's ties and bonds and and loyalties to the land. And so this is a thread for him, not just about history, but about justice. This is expressive of a wider consideration about social justice. And if you're going to stand up for what's right, you better stand up for what's right in the land that's called the land of Israel. Because if that land uh, seems to be based on injustices and everything else is obviously uh, you know, relatively immaterial. Danny, let me just, let let me just come it. in for a second.
0: This is an issue we're not going to discuss, but this issue came up quite a bit this week in, in the media about justice vis-a-vis anti-Semitism and sort of a double standard when it comes to hatred of Jews as opposed to hatred of other races. We should talk about that another time, but
1: I'm sorry. Go ahead. Like I, I understand your point. I understand your point. But. Right. I'm. am I'm, I'm going to rephrase. Defense of other people versus defense of Jews. Not necessarily hatred. I think most people would agree. Hate is a bad thing. But people seem to be often quite quick to defend certain groups and relatively slow in defending other groups. And that applies, including towards Jews and with respect to anti-Semitism. Okay, but take tell, tell so what, so, what should
0: what should the tweet? Do you, you think I'm making too much of it? Should we is is it is it accurate is it an accurate reflection in your in your idea and what does it mean for us most importantly for us our listeners for orthodoxy uh, moving forward? Uh,
1: I think that in, to measure the quality of a comment on the number of shares it has on social media is not necessarily the most healthy of um, quality assurance tests. Shall we say? Nevertheless. Uh, what it does seem to suggest is there is an interest in this topic, and there's also support for his words. And I, I, unfortunately, although people think a lot about Israel, actually there isn't so much talk about Israel. And here's this young person who has given an unequivocal um, uh, position about his view of the historicity of the land and the rights of others. And people say, yeah, I like that. The, however... The problem about social media is liking something, and something being true, are worlds apart. Meaning this may well fit the narrative that a person has been led to believe. That doesn't necessarily mean it has any historical uh, truth to it. And as we discussed a couple of weeks ago with respect to statues and history, uh, and where a country comes from, unless you know facts, unfortunately, opinions can often quickly overtake facts. So this, to my mind, is what deeply worries me. A person can offer their thought, I think they're wrong, I think I think they're wrong, and I have a very strong position about that. Nevertheless, on social media people offer, I suppose, all manner of opinions about all manner of things. The problem is when opinion is seen to be fact and people take it as fact and aren't interested in thinking any more about it because it fits a narrative that, that media and, and general dialogue and denominational dialogue at times seems to be speaking of, then I say, what's going to be for the future of the Jewish people? Because if that's how you see what Israel is, and if that's how you see the origins of our people, then your Judaism comes from a very, very different source to mine. It's not even you're reading it from uh, uh, vague readings of the Torah or shallow readings of rabbinic texts. You're just reading it based, you know, from uh, the the newspapers and from uh, what seems to be trending on, you know, Twitter or any other thing for that matter. I mean, if your Judaism isn't tied to Judaism, then what you're speaking simply isn't Judaism. That's, I suppose, what worries me by this post. But he would argue that it is Judaism. Well, that's, the problem is the following. Social media rarely gives people the time, or rarely do people on social media take the time, to ponder more than how much I like or dislike something, right? So it's, a, it's a really a of whether he would argue this or I would argue that. Would I have enough time and patience to listen to his arguments? Would he have enough time and patience to listen to mine? If the answer is no, then this is an irrelevant conversation. But if we base our opinions based on these kind of shallow, you know, a hundred whatever character statements, then, boy oh boy, have we got trouble, Molly. Take it. Yeah.
2: So, okay. So, I, I agree with a lot of what Johnny said. Um, what I, my response, my initial response to your your introduction, which I thought was very well formulated, is. But the, the one 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 way, one thing I would tweak is that I would say this tweet I don't think is a byproduct of the ref- classical reform um, anti-nationalist universalist movement as much as it is, and there might be a piece of it, which is, I don't know, that'd be interesting, but I think it's much more a response to the modern um, climate that Johnny alluded to, which is social justice and intersectionality and identity politics and standing up for oppressed people. I think that's much more where this comes from, and I think that's why it hit a nerve, because I think that that there are many people today who identify with that worldview, and that worldview um, has has in it essentially a, a, a discomfort with Zionism. Zionism is uncomfortable, precisely because a nationalism is uncomfortable. Nationalism is not a value that that it's not a good word um, in in that perspective, especially if it's associated with the assumed oppression of another people, which which it seems to be here uh, it, from that that perspective, right? From you know. Pe- many people's modern view of Zionism and the occupation and all of that. Um, then it comes to the question, your your question that you, the way you said it was like, how many people agree is it's a big deal, is it a, not a big deal? I don't know, but that's a really important question. And I think Johnny, I, I, lo- I really like how Johnny formulated his response to that question, which is, it's less about how many people agree with this, to my mind, and more about We're living in a world where people, how many people just kind of automatically accept certain tenets, beliefs, uh, proposals because their worldview, um, kind of adopts those, that row of proposals, including and therefore this approach to Zionism. Kind of gets parcelled into that, and there and, and, and there isn't a deep understand and the history. I even wouldn't want to say there isn't a deep understanding of the history, it, because everybody everybody's history is their own history, right? So so you can't the, the the true facts become irrelevant. The true history becomes irrelevant because you're already based in a perspective. You're already wearing a certain glass type of glasses that are going to frame how you're going to interpret any historical facts that come your way. Because you're already ideologically placed in one place. And that is what concerns me. Um, uh, and, and I agree with you. I'll just end with this last point that you're right that what you, you kind of said, like, so what do I have in common with somebody with whom I no longer share, as you said, either ritual or history, um, you know, or, or a nationalistic identity? I, I, I agree with you. I think it's it's very sad and I don't have a easy answer. I, I would like to still hope that Conversations across divides can conf- find commonalities. Um, can find with individuals. Maybe that's my answer to that question. Is that I think I think when we're trying to um, to connect with groups and with ideologies, it, it's not it doesn't work. But if we could if we can communicate with individuals and find common denominators with individuals, common loves within Judaism, common connections. Um, in our Judaism on an individual level, maybe that's the way out.
0: Okay, so my, I guess maybe I wasn't being clear about what I'm so concerned about, and I'll, I'll, I will I will explain, I, I think it's important for me to explain it, because if I, do, if I don't, then 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 I, you don't, uh, it's hard for you to explain where I'm coming from. So when I was working for Amiel BaKihila, or not now, it's Corona, Hashem we'll be sending Jami out quickly, um, um, when I was doing that, so one of the projects that came to us, that they wanted us to bring to our communities, was a program called Hayyud HaMeshutaf Shalanu, Our Common Destiny. This is a program spearheaded by the, by the Ministry of Diaspora Affairs. And uh, it, it was launched by, in, a, in a very public pr- thing, with, in a public pronouncement with the President of Israel and many leaders from around the world. I even think Rabbi Lamed is there, actually. I'm pretty sure that he was there and, at, at this thing. Rabbi Dan was there, like a bunch of bunch of and but a bunch of you know reform leaders and Jewish leaders from around the world. Okay, they came and they and and they and they had this idea that what we're going to do is create a document that will that will decide on our the common destiny of the Jewish people, that we should have this common document that we that we share and they want they wanted us to go in and and. Uh, and share this and have input from leaders around the, around the world, from leaders in different communities, that we would do this little seminar and talk about it. It was really fascinating, a very beautiful idea. And they came up with this document. And you can, I mean, I can send it to you, you can sort of go and download it and see this document as like a declaration of common destiny, okay, to strengthen and unify the Jewish people worldwide, to approve the strategic framework for enju- ensuring Jewish continuity in the diaspora, Really, really high, lofty goals that on the one hand you say, Oh really, give me a break, it's another one of these bureaucratic things. But at the at the same time, it's a very, very important thing, an incredibly important thing. So and, and so what's really interesting is like you see this really, really sudden, but gradual, but at the same time sudden shift between the relationship between Israel and the diaspora. Whereas Israel was the little child. We've talked about this in other contexts. Israel was the child. Israel was the, mm-hmm. you know, was the person with their hand held out. We often very often have our hand held out. But it was, uh, it was the baby that you had to support. And I would add, with the specter of the Holocaust in the backs of our minds at all times, that Israel has to be supported because if we don't support it, it's, it it's, it's the threat of Israel's annihilation is, that the, is, you know, is, is, is a very real thing that has to be addressed. Okay, with that being said, so it's very easy to support Israel. People support, in America you can always support Israel without a firm ideology because it's about saving the lives of Jews. I remember very, very, very clearly, I was in this big AIPAC meeting and they do it all the time, you know, Iran is an existential threat, they push that all the time, Hezbollah is an existential threat, that's what they talk about, it's our job as American Jews to defend Israel. Now, while all of those facts are ostensibly true, like if you read, um, I think it was either Daniel Gordis or like one of the pieces that, that were in response to, I think it was Gordis's piece, in response to, to, um, to Peter Beinart's thing, we're not going to talk about, but what he said what interestingly was, Israelis don't think about themselves existentially like that anymore. They just don't. It's not, you know, since 1973, they stopped thinking about that. Like, I don't wake up and I don't think any of you wake up thinking about, well, the Iranians want to kill us or what have you, or the Arabs want to kill us. We're stronger than they are. We're in a very different position. When that reality reaches the American public, so then they have to ask themselves a fundamental question. Why am I supporting Israel? If it's not about saving the lives of Jews, then do I agree with this enterprise or do I not? Once the specter of the Holocaust is off the table, which, which there's a lot of interest to make sure that that doesn't happen, that, under, that uncovers an, an incredible rift that I think pretends not well at all for the continuity of the Jewish people. And I, you know, I've been working on this project for, as you know, for the past two years, two and a half years, and it's something that's geared to our heart. And that's where the tweet hit me. And that's where I'm coming from. So, so and I think that this rift, as the specter of the Holocaust fades away, and I'm not minimizing as essential threats and the need for defense and the importance of AIPAC, or any of those things, but as it fades away in our consciousness, the support for Israel that was taken for granted is something in the in the in the in the diaspora Jewish community it becomes difficult especially for young people to address how do we bridge that gap that's my question how do Jews English speaking Jews people who want to religion how do we bridge that gap without the common sense of, of peoplehood and without a common without a commonality of of, of culture or religion what is there left what's our common destiny
1: johnny you know uh... Thank you so much. The way you summarized it is very, very helpful. Um, There's a line I heard many, many years ago, even before I got married, which is, every relationship is as strong as its weakest link. Okay? And we're here talking about the the relationship between Israel and the diaspora. And it's important to note that when we talk about the diaspora, that's a general term. Europe is different to America. Uh, South Africa operates slightly differently. But here we are focusing our attention primarily on North America. And what you're really saying is within some parts of American Jewry, primarily we're focusing right now on non-Orthodox and Reform Jewry, there is a weakening, right, a tapering of, of a commitment and an, and an awareness uh, or perhaps desire to be fully supportive and loyal of certain aspects of uh, Israeli their sovereignty or identity or rights, etc. Uh, and part of it is because... Israel needs them less, and perhaps they may may say that they need Israel less. That that's a, I think that's a fair summary of what you've said. Um, and this kind of makes me makes me think back to our conversation about annexation, uh, which we had a few weeks back, or shall we say we didn't really have? We just kind of had an introductory conversation. And I do think it's something that we need to return to at some point in time. And uh, both in the UK and sometime and, and and leaders in the US often say, if you do this then we're walking away. Or if you do this, then we're really going to struggle to support Israel. And if you really, really care about a relationship, there are always going to be struggles. The question is, how hard are you going to try to maintain it? And those kind of remarks, I think are quite modern. I'm happy to be served uh, corrected. But in the last 10, 15 years, I've heard that kind of remark about one instant or another being repeated far too often. If you do this, then we're going to kind of almost like walk away. It's as if the relationship's are already weak if you're able to make a comment like that. So uh, I agree with your summation, with your presentation about uh, what may well have been the game changers. Uh, now, we may not be feeling on a day-to-day basis those existential threats, although certainly they are present and we shouldn't be complacent. Nevertheless, there's also a sense that actually... You may not need us so much, and we may not need you so much. And perhaps there may be a time where we're prepared to, uh, you know, uh, go on more of a you know, weaken our ties, uh, take a slight break, shall we say, from you being part of our immediate locus. We're happy being American Jews. And so if Israel is a complication to that, there may be moments when we'd rather take a break. Uh, and maybe I'm wrong in summarizing it that way, but kind of how I see it at least right now, especially in light of recent pronouncements vis-a-vis uh, uh, annexation policies. But again, that's just the latest thing that, that's prompted that kind of reaction. There are plenty, plenty more of the last uh, probably 15 um, but or so years. But let's take that to the
0: next level, Johnny. What does it mean for Jews? The, the thing that, that scares me isn't like that. Satmar wants to take a break from the state of Israel. But they'll be fine oh, well, on, on one level or another. But if, if a reformed Judaism or... Uh, unaffiliated Judaism says, I'm going to take a break from Israel. What that essentially means is, I'm going to take a break from my, from my link to Jewish identity in such a way, and I'm going to establish an independent identity. And it basically means that it means, uh, you know, it's the last step of assimilation. So maybe I, I, I like, and, and recently I've started to feel a sense of Yush in a way. Like, you know, okay, what are you going to do? You can't fix the whole world. You have to work on, you have to focus on the things you can change. And if this is the reality, this is the reality. Well, it really just, it's just a very it's very it
1: causes great anguish in my heart, great pain. And I maybe I have, maybe I have, that's what it is. So so just to respond, I have a a great book that I read some years ago by David Eva Captain discussing trends in, in, in American Reform Judaism and, and, and she identified how uh, and, and both elsewhere and other articles, how the training of some reform rabbis here in in Israel in the Hebrew Union College led to a greater return to tradition. Basically, there were articles in the Jerusalem report, reform under reform, how coming to Israel changed the way reformed Judaism was practiced in America, The tra- meaning every trainee rabbi had to come here for a year or two. Uh, so I think what may well happen is you'll have almost a, a divide within these kind of movements. Those who say, listen, I may have issues, but I care about this relationship. I'm still going to go and train in Israel and, and I'll wrestle... Because there sometimes are ethical issues that you need to wrestle with, but I, Israel is important enough for me to bother to wrestle. And there may be others who say it's just not. So I don't think we're, it's fair to speak, abs, you know, in absolute gener, general terms about every denomination within, the, especially within the reform movement in the U.S. You have some voices like this, and you have others which are different. Uh, though the issues of, as we talked about. Morality and understanding history and understanding politics obviously are really, really important. Some seem to be more prepared to give up on that relationship. And others seem to be prepared to say, uh, I love you, so I'm going to speak out. But because I love you, I'm going to bother to speak out. I'm not just going to simply dismiss uh, what I think it are the Jewish right to the homeland or the really the Jewish notion of the state of Israel. Molly.
2: Yeah, um, I agree with you. I, I I've been increasing. I I've, I share a similar personal trajectory. I've been watching this pattern, especially among young people. And I think you said it very well. I think that's a very good way to describe it. It's it's you know the older generation really had this sense of an existential existential threat either to the Jewish people, to the people in the state of Israel, to the just to the Jewish people in the world. Right? When you say the specter of the Holocaust, it's not just we have to save Israel because of that. It's like Israel's a place to run in case we ever need it. Whatever it is, that whole existential threat piece is definitely eroding. I, I think. I, I can't speak definitively, but that definitely seems to be my impression. And, and, and certainly among young we people. You don't know if it's eroding. The
0: feeling of it is eroding. The,
2: right. The existential <laughs> threat may not be eroding, but the feeling of it is eroding. <laughs> it seems to be eroding among young people. And it does seem to be that that, that among a certain sector, I, again, I don't want to speak broadly, but there's definitely a vocal voice whose. Whose connection to the state of Israel does seem to be a lot more conditional and a lot more conditional upon things in which we really do have a parting of ways. And and even to go back to what I said before about my hope being that the solution is always connection, right? So classically, 20 years ago, we said, well, that's why there's birthright, and every Jew who comes to Israel, somehow when they come here and when they experience it, and when they live it and when they see it, some type of a um, a, a a bond is formed that, that that's much that that's much more deep. And even that's starting to erode. I've seen among, um, again, not all, but a certain uh, segment that there's like a cynicism now about birthright. They're trying to sell us, this, you know, the Zionist propaganda, um, you know, things I heard on birthright that I realize now are no longer true. Like, again, like, like that, this, this, and this, this, again, this, this progressive perspective that puts certain values... Um, very, very high on the totem pole that ends up eroding um, what they feel has been a almost jingoistic, you must, you must align with Israel because, um, and they feel like that you must align with Israel because it doesn't speak to them. Whereas for the older generation, you said it's, it's so obvious because it's existential for them. It's like, stop ramming your, your propaganda down my throat. Their perspective is different. It does seem conditional and it does cause me tremendous pain. I agree with you that, like, I've had, and I've had private conversations with some friends where, I've had I've argued your side where I've been like, but but and unity and 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 again, ironically, you know, my perspective from Israel has shifted less from but we need them and what's Israel going to do without the support of American Jews, which the truth is, when you think about it, is actually terrifying, right? We take for granted certain mm-hmm. certain. Um, Bastions of support, even APAC is now kind of on the table. As are they too right wing? Are are they too? You know, it's a very unhealthy mix of, of like um, political affiliation and 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 Zionist affiliation, and you know, we don't we don't want to go into politics, but every it's, it's really happening. So it's becoming more and more orthodox,
0: you should know. Every, every yes, it's becoming years. more and more yeah.
2: orthodox, yeah. and 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 you know, when when um, again, I don't want to get into politics, but when certain Democratic nominees. Kind of smiled and nodded when um, young a young um, woman said, "I have problems with Israel and and some of the things APAC supported." And Elizabeth Warren, will you support APAC? And she she kind of waffled her way out of the answer, which is not anything to say about her in particular, but it is to say something about what I view as a worrisome trend in America. So yes, I do think that that there, that we as Israelis do have to be concerned. What are we going to do when when this, I, this, un- this sense that we have unconditional, more or less, not unconditional, we can't do every, anything, but like we have a certain bastion of support among American Jews and among American the larger American political world. If that erodes, we are seriously in big trouble. So that is one piece, and so that's important. But the other side that you are talking about is true also. Like, What is American Jewry going to do? What's going to happen to them? And I, again, I don't want to sound paternalistic, but I do agree with you. My, my analysis, my perspective from here is that when they unmoor themselves from Jewish tradition and hold on instead to cultural values, cultural values change and shift with the wind, and Jews who've done that classically have disappeared. And I don't mean all Jews, and I don't mean to be, you know, again, I don't mean to be too, too general in what I'm saying, but, but it does concern me. It concerns me when the Judaism becomes less about Judaism and more about um, a cultural perspective, and it worries me. And, and I also have come in my darker moments to a place where I felt like I've had to say, like, at a certain point, people make their choices. And if we have to part ways, um, then that's what's going to happen. And, um, you know, and, and that's, and there's a part of the Jew meaning the Jew, I was always taught the Jewish perspective is you love all Jews no matter what and you hold out hope for all Jews no matter what and you identify with all Jews no matter what and I still believe that, of course I do um, at the same time like I've been thinking more and more when we, you know, one one place where I think about this a lot is um, when we in the Haggadah when we talk about the Arba and when we talk about the Rasha and I always grew up right, when the Rasha, when, when Chazal say haket shinav ilu hayashem lo and I grew up with a tremendous sense Every seder, I heard this critique. How could Chazal have said such a thing about Jews? That can't be true. And shinav just means you soften his teeth and you bring him in. It's not possible that Chazal could have meant that. Like that—that that, that there's some Jew who who somehow, by his own actions, takes himself out of the Jewish people. There's no such. Oh, they—they me- they
0: meant it exactly what they said. They knew exactly right. what they were talking but, about. But,
2: right. So we didn't. We don't like that. that. We don't want to know right. about that. But they did. We meant don't that. want to hear from Chazal, we would always reinterpret it from Chazal. and I'm starting to say, like, maybe Chazal knew, as you say, it's sure they knew what they were saying, but not just they knew what they were saying, maybe they were had, had a point, that maybe there are times when when, the, when, when, like, we can reach out our arms, and we should, and we shouldn't stop, and, and this is something we talked about before, earlier, before the conversation with Johnny, we shouldn't stop trying, and we shouldn't start reaching, and I don't mean this from an arrogant way, I believe that they have what to, to teach us. And we have what to teach them, and we should always reach our hands across that abyss and try to connect. But at a certain point, everybody has to take responsibility for their own choices, and 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 if people make choices that lead them down a certain path, and I can't do anything about it, then I have to make peace with that as well. Holding at the same time, I'm gonna, I'm always gonna reach out, and I'm always gonna hope that my hand will be accepted for my sake as much as for their sake. Because again, I don't want to sound. Um, in any way, you know, as if I have all the answers and, 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 and the other side has none, you know, is, does not. It's not what I mean, but I do think that there's that, that I, I can only do my best based on, I, I have to at some point ground myself in what I believe are ideals and principles and beliefs, and, and I have to stand there. And if standing there, and I have to move forward from that place, and I don't think we should not do that. And, and then at some point, like, let's just see where history takes us as I do my best to kind of move forward, grounded my beliefs and reaching out my hands as much as possible to every brother and sister that I can.
1: Johnny, you want something to add? No, actually, I really love the way uh, Mali just summarized those last few sentences. I mean, that's, this is a tension with relationships you care for a lot, but principles you also care for a lot. Um, nobody ever chooses to sabotage. Nobody should want to, Never. nobody ever should. Still, you know, one of the things that I le- learned as a grown-up, and I remember I had to, we, I've had conversations with my wife about this, and my daughters, you know, sometimes friendships weaken. And at times you want to hold on to them, but at times you know that it's okay to let them go. It doesn't mean you don't care about a person it means that there's a, 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 a certain amount of space that's grown between you, you simply have to acknowledge. And that's actually a really important thing to do and a mature thing to do in life. And or, although I think we're talking about quite broadly, and, and it's hard to make general statements about a very particular tweet, and, and again, this isn't personal to the author himself, we're talking about phenomena. Uh, there is a sense by many Jews in Israel, and I think by many Jews around the world, that some brothers and some sisters are ebbing away, especially in terms of their relationship to Israel, which, because it's such a central aspect of their identity, they struggle to maintain quite that same level of of closeness. Um, not spiritual closeness as Jews that exists, but we're talking about here in terms of areas of agreement, areas of shared uh, common vision. And so... Uh, Basically, I kind of repeated much more lousily what Mali said. So just ahead, Mali.
0: So I can't help thinking at the outset I said we could have made Rab Ariel's argument far better than he did. And just hearing what both of you have just said, sometimes you have to walk away, sometimes you have to acknowledge that as close as we want to be, we just have to decide that this is not a good time and that interaction is more destructive. If Rav Ariel had said that we would have agreed. And that's basically what his argument is. Forget. Let's not use the language of cherem and we don't want really to interact, but aren't we, aren't we making that same argument in the end?
2: Well, I don't know if I would say it that way. I, I mean, I, I agree with Johnny that sometimes you do have to... Just,
0: just listening to what you said and how yeah, like, yeah. it's sad no. and what can so, you do. So no, it's not just, yes. just a question of tone. It's a, and that's important. I have to think that tone is critical here. I have to think no. that um, with, yeah. we often, okay. especially in Israel, we agree fundamentally, like, I don't want to change the power structure per se, but I think it makes a big difference how you say it. But in the end, that's basically right. what we're saying. because no, I mean, no, no, not, because like, I the issue of to nuance. be on a panel or not be on a panel. Like the yeah, but in the end, like you know, John, the way Johnny said it. Okay, probably said I cry every day, and it's really sad. But you know, we have to understand the realities of the world in which we live, and you can't really sit and agree with every single person, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Wait, I want, okay, have said, so hmm, I want to add one more interesting. Piece. Well, it makes okay, a lot of I sense. Want to add one,
2: one, new, one more nuance to that because. There is another alternative to walking away and taking a break. There's actually a very interesting um, mizmor in, in Tehillim, where David HaMelech, right, who would like almost every emotion that he has, he records in Tehillim. And there's one mizmor where he basically says to God, "God, leave me alone. I don't want to talk to you right now. Um, I've had it. If you talk to me, I'll just, I'll just, you're just hurting me, and I, I don't want, to, I don't want to talk to you." And that's the whole mizmor. There's no like reconciliation. There's no happy ending. That's the mizmor. And I remember when I learned it, I asked. Rabbi Mordechai Cohen, who was teaching Tehillim, that's who I taught Tehillim with at the time, I said, what was the point of putting this Mizmor in Tehillim? It has no um, resolution. There's no reconciliation with God, in which almost every other Mizmor of David's at the end, he comes to a reconciliation with God. And, and 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 Rabbi Cohen said, well, just the fact that David records saying to God, I don't want to talk to you right now, is still he's still in dialogue with him, right? He still wrote it. And so, therefore, I, I do want to say that That we might be able to say, it's not that we're taking a break and 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 we're walking away and we're not in dialogue. What I'm saying to you is, I don't agree with you. This is my opinion. Um, You know, I can't. I'm I'm going down a path that you know that that you can't follow me on, and I'm going to continue going down this path. But as I do it, I'm going to still keep saying, "You are my brother. You are my sister. I'm longing for that connection." Do you understand what I'm saying? You can walk away while still saying why you wish you didn't have to walk away, and why you're not walking away, and, and while you're still always leaving the door open for communication. And I think that that's really that's different than what Rav R- 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 was saying.
1: Maybe. Yeah, and I'd right, and I'd also add. I, I think we're comparing two very very different things. What here we're discussing is just I say I'm just using general metaphors relationships. Sometimes relationships are stronger. Sometimes they're weaker. Sometimes greater gaps. Uh, uh, increase between two parties, two people, two groups of people. Uh, and sometimes, uh, as a result of that, distance is created. Uh, although technically and, and practically, love shouldn't itself dissipate. In the case of Ariel, it's, it's actually different. We're saying people who have very, very different viewpoints offer to each other to talk. That's, I said every relationship is as strong as its weakest link. If both links say, let's talk, that's a beautiful thing. The question is, what do you do with that? And so Rav Ariel says, "Well, since they're so weak to me, then I have no interest in talking to you." But in the case that he was resp- responding to, there was a there was a branch, there was a there was an opportunity, there was a request, there was a desire. And what Rav Malamed basically says is, if somebody wants to talk to me, uh, and I have a, a, an affection towards them as a person, why wouldn't I talk? They're not trying to convert me and I'm not trying to convert them. But if we don't talk, relationships aren't strengthened, right? And and uh, bruises aren't healed or, you know, wh- whatever you may well describe as the scrapes of, of disagreement that sometimes occur between people and between denominations. So conversation is critically important when conversation can happen. Um, the question really is, uh, is there a desire for that? In that respect, it was. Here, that's, you know, I think it's a different uh, situation. Well, I think that's a great place to put it. I think that's a great distinction, the idea
0: of uh, both of you. I love how you connected that to the TV. Mm-hmm. Molly, would you remember what where it is? You can, we can send it out on our Facebook page. I'll we'll take up. that. Okay. Yeah. I want to thank uh, both Molly and uh, Rajani for your uh, insights and thoughts on this complicated discussion, very complicated issue, and hopefully we'll... We'll be able to also uh, unpack these ideas in, in general. Like sometimes the most fascinating conversations we have are the ones before we start recording. Like what is it? How does that relate to also the issue of politics and the interaction between religion and politics? Maybe we'll get there if we figure out how we can uh, find a framework to discuss it. All right, I want to thank uh, all of you for listening. If you've enjoyed this podcast recently, some people have been sharing on social media. We'd really appreciate it if you're if you're a listener, please take a, take some time and share on your feed. Uh, if there's a particular episode that you like, we share always on Facebook. There's an RC Weekly Facebook page you can join. It helps uh, new people discover our podcast. And we're learning that there are a lot of people that would like to listen to our podcast if only they knew about it. So help us promote, help us share. And also, if you can, review us on the iTunes app or whatever it's called, Apple Podcasts, because that makes its way through the feed. The review helps other people discover our podcast as well. I finally want to thank our my son, Patashas Fulter, for our intro and outro music.